0: Did a UFO really crash in Germany and did it contain blueprints for advanced weapons? Who was Maria Orsitz and could she really control the power of real? Is there remains of a wonder weapon in an abandoned Polish mine? Hi, hello, and welcome to Digging Up Ancient Aliens, the podcast where we examine the TV show Ancient Aliens, to the claims of a watertron archaeologist, or are there better explanations out there? I'm your host, Frederick, and this is episode 19, and it's going to be, well, something, something at least, this time around. We're going to watch episode 10 from season 2 called Aliens and the Third Reich. This is not going to be your ordinary episode and to be frank, it's going to be quite dark. I had another idea where to go with this episode in the beginning, but it was scrapped since I think the things that I uncovered while preparing here was a bit too important to take this a bit more lighter, so to say. So we're going to deal with Nazis and this episode will base a lot of its contents on writings of neo-Nazis. So in many ways it's going to be a quite serious episode. I've tried to go as deep as we can within the format of this show to provide you with as much background as possible. I think the theme of the show might indicate that we will mention the horrors of World War II. And we will also mention briefly suicide and massacres. Nothing graphic, but I feel that it might be good to let you know what's coming up. Remember that you can find sources, resources, and reading suggestions on our website, diggingupancientaliens.com. This time it might be more important than usual. I also have made the editorial choice not to not list the proponent sources in the reference list. I mentioned them through the episode, so if you want, really want, you can go and look them up, but I didn't feel that it should be listed with, um, well, <laughs> like for a better word, proper sources. But at the website, you will also find contact info if you notice any mistakes or have any suggestions. And if you like the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you left one of those fancy five-star reviews that I heard so much about. Enough for me jammering. Let's get into the show. It does not take us long to encounter a swastika. again, in and we have parades and Nazi flags all over the place. But all right, it's supposed to be about Nazi Germany. So I guess it's somewhat appropriate. But we then kick into high gear with Henry Stevens who say...
1: A lot of the information that we've been told about the Second World War is wrong.
0: And I think this quote will set a tone for the episode because... This will be kind of the main takeaway from the episode. We will also meet a new face to us, Jim Mars, a conspiracy theorist and UFO hunter. But after the intro, we start to get into the gist of it. We are getting a lot of World War II footage in this first section. And again, it's about Nazi Germany, so I guess it's thematic at least. But the narrative tells us that the Germans had the most advanced weaponry for its time, and this is somewhat true. They did spend a lot of money on research during this period, but it helps when you have slave labor to keep costs down and humans to freely use as guinea pigs. But this is, of course, left out of the episode. But Billy... Our beloved Bill Barnes comes in and talks a little bit about the V-1 and the V-2 rocket that mentioned that these are marvelous invention. But from the show it seems as if the Germans had invented the rockets all by themselves. But this is not true prior to the war there was exchange between universities. Von Brown who was ma- one of the main people behind the V-2 rocket had reached out to Robert H. Goddard for example and Goddard was the one who is credited with the first liquid fuel rocket. So there was an ongoing exchange of ideas but there's others who worked with the early rocket design such as Robert S. Nalt Petrier, Konstantin Tsiolkovsky and Herman Oberth. The last one we will get back to later. Sure, Germany was the first country to really develop a rocket that could be used in a war, but the idea had was already out there, so to say. It makes the comment from the narrator a little bit weird, almost as he gives it away by accident or give us plausible den- deniability.
2: But what was the source of their incredible achievements? Were they simply smarter than their counterparts in other countries? Did they receive more funding and resources for their research or were they as some ancient astronaut theorists believe guided by other possibly extraterrestrial forces
0: and yes it was the funding and being lucky to have people like ron brown and oberth who could use it properly i think we again should highlight that the Slave labor from the camps was used in the development. After this, Linda Malton Howe joins in for a really quick soundbite. But she is wondering how Adolf Hitler could be so confident that uh, Germany would take over the world. What we should read here is that they had, of course, some big secret. What might it be? Well, if you follow the series, you know that the answer is always... Aliens. So here we're going down the dark road and I feel that we're going to be able to confirm here that the show is resting on racist ideas. So after House question on where the confidence came from, we open up with, well, something they actually got wrong but now get right. The Black Forest in Germany. So back in episode 5 in season 1, they talked about this incident, but there they call the area for the Freiburg Forest. But it seems if Silla lo- at least got the na- name right this time around. And we talked a little bit about the Freiburg Forest UFO incident with Blake Smith from Monster Talk back in episode 9. There we got a more detailed description of the events. So if you want to hear more about that, you should check out episode 9 if you haven't already. But they mention a name here. Jan van Helsing. And no, it's not the character from Bram Stoker's Dracula. But we will discuss the pen name here in just a moment. The person, or the real person behind the name, is Jan Udo Hauli. A German who has published a number of books. I think it will explain quite a lot when we discuss the origin of his pen name. But first, Jan Udo Hauli was born in 1967, as a second child in an esoteric family. His mother claimed that Jan is a seer, and he seems to get a lot of his future ideas and influence from his upbringing. He went on to become an interior decorator, and it seems that somewhere after this he came into contact with the far-right movement. So Jan Udo Holy did select the name Van Helsing to honor the vampire hunter since Jan Udo believes that the use is uh, bloodsuckers. Since Jan Van Helsing was fighting vampires he felt it was appropriate to take the name. But his claims about the UFO crash in the forest come from the book Secret Societies and their power in the 20th century. A book that's based on text-like protocol of elders of Zion and is building on the ideas from known holocaust deniers such as David Irving, David L. Hogan and Jermall Rudolph, just to name a few. The book is banned in multiple countries due to the anti-Semitism in it. Since the book is banned, Jan Udo used this to sell more of his other books, claiming to be a victim, that his critics is trying to silence him because they are afraid of the truth, you know. Jan Udo Howley is a weird source for the History Channel to use, so publicly in their show but if you didn't know about the holocaust denialism and antisemitism i guess it might sound credible even though it's about ufos but i think it's clear that we can write off the black forest ufo as an invention of jan holy he is clearly the source of this saga and has not provided any evidence for that it's Happened. There are claims about UFOs and Nazis in earlier sources, such as Ernst Sundell and Miguel Serrano, but they ties off the UFO to Antarctica. But Jan seems to go a bit further and adding the ideas from Louis Powells and Jakus Berger and their ideas about the real society from their book Morning of the Magicians. Jan Udo expands on the ideas and adds to the story. We will return a little bit to this later on so with all of this i think we can uh, for now write off Howley's claims as racist fiction but all of this does not stop bill barnes from claiming
3: what exists are the reports of scientists who claim to have read reports of analysis done on that craft and the propulsion
0: system And I know that his TV and that giving source can be tricky when trying to narrate a story, but he doesn't even give a name of the scientists or the reports. To be fair, we are not even sure that Bill Barnes is talking about the German UFO crash here. So ancient aliens are so poor with their sources that you can't even trust the editing of the believers. But we have Michael Denning who comes in and discusses if it would be possible for us to reverse engineer alien technologies if we would encounter them. His answer is that it depends. If it's similar to what we have now, it could be quite simple. If it's something really different, it would be nearly impossible. And I think he has a point. But the show agrees that since it could be possible, it's fine for us. So I think it would be good to discuss Michael Denning a little bit. He has been in most of the episodes we have seen so far, but he isn't really part of the ancient astronaut believers. But um, he is somewhat a resident, maybe not skeptic, but science contact. He is a professor at the University of California, Irvine. He is a devout Catholic and has written a book called Divine Science. This is why I don't call him a skeptic, but uh, Michael Denning claims to have stayed on the show for all these times we can influence it. And if this is the product after Denning's influence, maybe it could in fact be worse. But I think it's good to know that Denning is not a believer, but he's lending his credibility to these types of shows to be able to talk about science. I believe this is somewhat of a double-edged sword. one part, it's good to reach out and try to new, reach new demographic interested in science. But at the same time, this show has had qu- a quite artistic approach towards facts. And Denning has been used and edited in ways often that makes it seems as the preferred stories of aliens presented by the show is true. But let's leave Professor Denin's background for now and get back to the show, because now we're going to see the result of the reversed engineering of the spacecraft. We are going to move on to another German inventor named Victor Schauberger, and the narrator starts us off like this.
2: According to reports discovered after the war, German scientists began experimenting with anti-gravity technologies shortly after the alleged discovery of the alien craft. One of these scientists was an Austrian inventor named Victor Schauberger.
0: Michael Denning comes in and says something that in a moment will make more sense.
4: He was very instrumental in talking about creative ways of using fluid motion to generate propulsions. And a lot of it has to do with studying the way animals actually move through water or air.
0: So who is this Victor Schauberger? Well Schauberger was born in 1885 and in 1922 he created a system that was able to ship more wood down the river than was possible before. The inspiration behind this was, according to Schauberger, found in Nature and especially he attributes the trout for this. So I think this is what Denning was referring to when being quote here before. But none of what I just said made it into the show. But we then meet Jörg Schuberger, who is the grandson of Victor and is going to fill us in on the invention. But I have to say that when it's your relative who defends your theories, it's not a great, great sign for your previous work. Victor do bring up the trout, but with a little twist. He looked especially on the trout... Standing still in a raging torrent, and he thought of how can this fish stand still in this river. And then he thought of how nature works, and he stated, "It's not the animal itself; it's air or water that moves this animal. A fish does not swim; it is swum, and a bird does not fly; it is flown. So why?" can we do this with machines? Move the air in a special way so that the vehicle is pulled, not pushed. And I'm not really sure what he mean by this, both the bird and the fish use muscles to move, but they somewhat rely on wind and currents in water to move quicker or more efficiently. But Is basically drag, just as a cyclist is riding behind someone else to save energy. But all of this boils down to the claim that Victor Schuberger invented a Vortex engine. And this is truth with modification. Schuberger seems to have called a number of things he invented for repulsion, which are supposed to be the Vortex engine. One of them was an idea that used air. That sucked in through the disc that we see on the screen. And this somehow created a vortex that could move an aircraft, for example. And they show you the invention on the screen. And then (laughs) a bit of a poor CGI video to really show you how it might have worked. Why don't they just show the invention in action since they have it? Well, it seems to be due to the fact that the patent was (laughs) even rejected for not being possible. And well, the invention never worked. But Schuberger had not given up. They don't bring this up in the episode, but he tried to make a new version of the Repulsin after gaining a lab at a concentration camp. Again, this is not great people. But due to his success with the lumber transport system, he had made a lot of good connections. So he got these possibilities to experiment but repulsing 2.0 was meant to use water and a few unknown additives to create petrol for submarines again how it would work or even be possible is left unknown but again it it didn't work but this should not be a surprise sense except for the moving on log his others invention has gone terrible terribly wrong Schauberger did dabble in water treatment and alternative energy sources. He managed to convince a few Siemens execs to build one of his ideas. After the device was built to Schauberger's specification, the apparatus did implode and reach a temperature of nearly 4000 degrees Celsius. Somehow he got another chance from Siemens, but the improved invention gave off so much radiation that, according to the story, melted the jewelry of people behind nearby walls. It does sound a bit as someone have maybe exaggerated this story just a tiny bit, but Siemens got ties after this. Schauberger got more paranoid towards the end of his life and today is mostly known for vitalized water with his vortexes. Water can, this is new to me, but apparently water can die and somehow this is bad because you don't want to drink dead water, I guess. But you can give it new life by spinning it really fast. David Childress then coming in to talk about Schauberger's vortex engines but adding mercury to it. I did not find anywhere other than in Schiller's writing, so I think this is something he has added to make his mercury claims sound more plausible. But uh, in the show, the grandson Jörg Schuberger claims that his grandfather got his ideas from ancient texts, so not only from the trout. He also read things. I think you can almost guess where we go now. And if you guessed India and the Vimanas, you are perfectly right. So the Vimanas, one of ancient aliens' most favorite things to talk about. We will not spend too much time here since we have covered these in other episodes. But again, they mix up the Rukma Vimana or Vimanka Shastra, the book that is a hoax, unknown hoax, that was first published in 1953 with other real Indian religious texts. But we talked about this in the last episode, and as I said, in previous episodes before this. So we're going to leave it here for now. But for this little segue, we're going to move on to the, I guess, other result of the reverse engineered UFO the Hannibal. But they don't spend much time on this. I found it a bit weird since Childress has written a book on this thing. Well it is a saucer shaped aircraft with different variations that according to these proponents was built in Nazi Germany. One of them was 25 meter in diameter and had windows on top. This is as I said invention of imagination. By whom we will get to in a moment. But Jim Morse claimed the following towards the end of this section.
4: Almost all my life I've heard stories that the Nazis had obtained a flying saucer. And I do believe the Nazis were in touch with non-human intelligences. that gave them the advanced technology that they developed right up to the end of the war.
0: I mean the Nazis lost. These intergalactic travelers who apparently used nuclear weapons in the past and can control volcanoes and tsunamis did lose against a ragtag bunch of humans with rifles somehow. I mean, do they hear how it sounds? Well, here the show will go on a little side excursion. They are going to use the swastika as evidence that it must have been aliens because you can find the swastika all over the world. Michael Creamer tells us.
5: Swastika is a Sanskrit word from ancient India. It means mark of good fortune. And the same symbol is found not only in ancient India, but all over the world. In many different ancient cultures, ranging from Egypt to Iran to The cultures of the Americas.
0: And this is somewhat true. The meaning differs, but swastika shame symbols are found all over the world. Swastika originates from the word swasti in Hindu, that means luck, fortune, or prosperity. The ending ka is a suffix, meaning basically of. So the most literate translation to English would be of peace or so, or of luck. So technically, Krim is right, but only technically. In Egypt, on the other hand, the symbols does not have been popular among the Egyptians, except for maybe in important goods and practices. There is one case of native depiction of the hooked cross that I could find, and it's a rock carving in the eastern desert of Upper Egypt. It is a crude affair, and it does not give us much. The dating is basically dynastic. So, yeah, Egyptian, ancient Egypt. The picture shows us two feet. One of them has a swastika in the foot. And the other has a swastika slightly above the second foot's toe. And you can find a copy of the carving at our webpage that you find all the sources for this too, of course. Krimo continues...
5: In the ancient Sanskrit text, it's stated that the symbol of the swastika is connected with extraterrestrial beings, such as the Hindu god Brahma. It's often used in worship in temples dedicated to extraterrestrial beings.
0: And this seems to be a case where Krimi wants to read that the Hindu gods are aliens and therefore they are aliens. <laughs> but you have the Swastika all over in Hindu and Asian culture since it's connected to so many different things. You put it over doors on paychecks and everywhere you would like to have luck or prosperity. You also have it associated with festivities of Dvali for example and sure it's connected to Brahma and other god, but not a symbol of their divinity. And it's maybe great to mention, again, that the swastika does appear all over the world. We have mentioned one location in Egypt, but you can find it in many other places. What the show wants you to think that it's mean the same thing all over, and that they look identical everywhere. But that's not really the case. If you compare the Hindu swastika to... For example, uh, Avar, uh, Greek uh, Tetraskelian or Polish oranges Varoga or the Bashkirs Swasika, you will start to realize that even though it's similar, it's not the same. The meaning differs too between cultures and time. For medieval Christians, it symbolized Jesus and the authors of the Gospels. For the Native American, it was related to rain and fertility. Yes, it was luck and prosperity in some cultures too, but we are bound to have a bit of overlap. Most of these are of course in Asia, where the cross-influence would have been more expected. But how can it appear all over the world then? Well, it is a simple symbol who, to be honest, have elements of movement in it that makes it quite interesting to look at. We also again need to stress that they are, they have not been identical over time and locations. They are depicted in different ways. Bill Barnes just pushing us off in the deep end saying the
3: swastika turns up in the legends of indigenous peoples all around the world and the theory was that it was a magical power a magical symbol given to these indigenous peoples by extraterrestrials and that by using this symbol it could ward off enemies ward off evil give them the power to not only survive but become supreme
0: and i don't really like how they're trying to i don't know pull nazi ideology over all of these native people the swastika was not connected to a sense of superiority before the nazis took it as their symbol this clearly shows that barnes doesn't really care about the original sources he he wants to push his own narrative george nori from coast to coast ready to repeat the good old classic myth
1: hitler was obsessed with ancient mythology he was obsessed with the occult And more importantly, he was obsessed with trying to gain knowledge that he believed he could muster before anybody else could. So he spent an inordinate amount of time, energy, and money all over the planet to try to get information about things that would give Germany an upper hand.
0: I think we should have another excursion here and explore these occult and esoteric claims before we venture into the next section about the real society. The idea of uh, the occult, mythological and esoteric ideas, the story is quite long and complex and could easily be its own episode or even a whole series of them. I will keep it to the shorter version here, but there's a lot more that we could have talked about. If you're interested in an episode like this, please let me know. But resources and reading suggestions on what will be brought up here can be found at diggingupancientaliens.com. Where to start is not an easy thing, to be honest. So I'm going to start with the Valkyries movement, who started the idea of one nation, one people. This movement led to subgroups such as the Thule Society that the show doesn't really talk about in this episode. But this subgroup had esoteric influences due to their inspiration from Ariosophist writers such as Gideon von List and von Liebenfels, who did have more occult ideas in their writing and teachings. The Thule Society did in 1919, have an important role in building the early Deutsche Arbeiterpartie, or DAP. This would later evolve to National Socialiste Deutsche Arbeiterpartie, or NSDAP. But as soon Hitler had control over the party, the connection with Thule society was thoroughly separated. After this, the society would wither and start to fade away. But why would Hitler do all this? To start, he was never a member of Thule Society, and only a few of leading Nazis would even be invited as guests. Rudolf Hess seems to have been a member for a brief period, but the question is if he really was a member, or maybe just a guest, or if it's something that's been invented later due to political reasons. Hitler himself never had any love towards the Volkish movement, almost having contempt for the organization. And in Mein Kampf, Hitler writes that these traveling scholars are not the way to spread the word. Hitler was not fond of mysticism or superstition, and the same went for other officials like Goebbels for example. Already in 1933, when they seized power, the party became directly hostile towards esoteric societies influenced by, for example, Theosophy, Rosicrucianism, among others. Even Ariosophy was deemed to be one of these sects hostile to the state. And when Rudolf Hess made his highly optimistic attempt to make peace and crashed in a Scottish field, Hitler had enough Hitler and Goebbels initiated a purge to clear out what remained of these esoteric ideas and societies. The task was maybe somewhat ironically given to the chief of the German police, Heinrich Himmler, one of the few we actually know had an interest in occult and esoteric practices. Himmler is one of the few we know who had interest in these type of things, but he kept it mostly to himself. He tried to saw different ideas by creating research institute and things, but all attempts seems to have either ended at the planning stage or fizzled out. But Himmler seems to have been the one interested in finding things like the Holy Grail, and for that took up grail hunters like Otto Rahn into the SS. But the claim that Hitler was interested in, in the where where does it really come from well it somewhat stems from a group of ss people who met up in 1950s vienna one of them was an engineer named erich hallick who would come to publish articles about neo-nazis esotericism and ufos his first articles was in fact about that a ufo sighting was actually not something extraterrestrial but a nazi cult device that was used by high, high-ranking Gnostic Christians to influence the society. And we should not forget the French book The Morning of the Magicians, who continued on these esoteric ideas. But maybe the greatest influence on the idea of Nazis being overtly interested in ancient artifact was Trevor Ravencroft, who wrote in the book Spear of Destiny published in 1973. In this book, Ravencroft claims that Hitler was obsessed with the spear who pierced Jesus at the crucifixion. This is based on interviews he made with Walter Johannes Stein, a philosopher, great enthusiast and pioneer of anthroposophy. In these stories, it's claimed that Stein found a copy of Parcival in a occult bookshop the book had this strange note on how to gain transcendent consciousness alchemy and other occult teachings stain then learned that the book belonged to hitler and gained hitler's address who welcomed this jewish teacher in his home and told him about these occult things but the problem is that stain died in 1956 so it's quite a lot of time before the book and Sure, Ravencroft could maybe have met him before this, but as you might expect, there's no evidence that it would have happened. And in an interview later, he is supposed to have admitted to never actually met Stane, well, at least in life, but gained all this knowledge through a medium but from Ravencroft we move to authors like Norbert Jürgen Rathofer and Ralph Ettel who we will talk more about shortly and of course Jan Udo Howley from these we go further on to Childress and Jim Morris, and the books keep selling so I guess we will see more authors on these topics. But be aware that the ideas stems from Nazi sympathizers or spiritually channeled people. As I mentioned, this is only a brief summary of the topic. So if you want to learn more, I have collected some good resources in our sources section. Now when we are a little bit more armed with some background leading up to the next section, we can continue. So we are going to switch the topic a little bit and the narrator moves us by saying.
2: One of the main groups advising the Nazi leadership was a secret society known as the Vril. Members are said to have included the commander of the SS, Heinrich Himmler, Air Force commander, Hermann Gehring, and the head of the Nazi party, Martin Bormann.
0: If you paid any attention... You know that, except for a very few individuals in the Nazi party, there was no interest in esoteric societies. In fact, I can tell you with 100% certainty that none of those mentioned were ever involved in the real society. We will get to this in just a moment, but let's first see what the show believes the real to be. Childress claimed that the real society took its name from the Sanskrit word prana. They didn't. The show goes on to talk about how this real power could have been used. Then they start to claim that these real researchers were in contact with beings from the Aldebaran solar system. Bill Barnes explained that.
3: They believed that Aryans descended from a race of ETs and these ETs imbued this Aryan race with tremendous power and meant for them to be the master race on Earth. And that was in part the justification for the Nazi political party to establish the Aryan supremacy on the planet Earth.
0: Alright, maybe we should take just a moment here and try to figure out what's going on. What is this real and how can I be so sure that Goring was not part of the society and Nazi aliens, really? Let's start with real. We have talked a little bit about it back in episode 9, but let's recap that part here so you have a fresh framework. Real comes from the novel novel Coming Race, written by Edward Bulwer-Lytton in 1871. The book is about a young traveler who encounters the race of Vrilja, a superior angelic-like race who gain powers from the force of Vril. Vril in the novel can be used for many things, both destroy basically anything and of course to create and heal anything. But how did a sci-fi novel from 1871 become entangled with Nazi ufology? For this we can thank Willy Ley, who was in academia during his time in Germany but who is maybe mostly known for being a sci-fi writer he wrote in the science fiction magazine Analog Science Fiction and Fact that in Germany there was a society trying to find real later research did uncover a brochure from a group called wow Jemenschaft das kommende deutschland one of them called Vril, Die Kosmische Urkraft, club published in 1930. But in it it seems to talk more about Atlantis and free energy than other things. But this group was more on the very fringe and did not do much more than release a second pamphlet expanding on the idea. Vril Society was picked up in Morning of the Magicians where the myth was expanded. But what we hear here in the episode mostly builds on the writings from 1991 by Ann-Norbert Jürgen Rathofer and Ralf Etel. That year they published the book Das Vril Project, where they came to expand on the ideas of Nazi esotericism and Vril. Both of them belonged to a society started by Etel building on Markionism. The base of the belief system rests on the ideas of Marcion of Sinope. The short version is that um, God in the Old Testament is evil and not compatible with the teaching of Jesus. So he, the idea here is uh, that there is a supreme good God that took pity on the lost people following the false evil God who sent his son Jesus to save them. So, the God from the Old Testament is different from the God in the New Testament, and who is then an evil force. This is a quite clever way to paint the Jews as extra evil. Both Jürgen Rathofer and Etel, of course, also have ties to the far-right movement. But in this book, the real society becomes a larger organization, and the author is starting to add Sumerian and Babylonian ideas to the story. But the authors claim that the society learned that an alien race from the Aldebaran system came here in the past and created a slave race and also a master race. The alien left these races alone and they started to mix and interbreed. The aliens then created the Germanic people to bring order back to Earth and back to get back to the original world order. Jürgen Rathofer and Etel seems to be the original source for the Hannibal legends we talked about earlier. According to the surreal project there were 8 versions of the Hannibal spaceships. And model 7 or 8 was used to travel to the Aldebaran to get help in the war effort. The pair also claims in this book the ideas from Aldebaran that the alien teach them, or the Nazis, was closely tied to what we today view as national socialism and anti-Semitism. The mythology would later be expanded on by Hawley that we now have encountered a few times already. But with this we can quite firmly confirm that the real society as described in these books Never existed. There was a fringe group who did publish a small pamphlet. But that is as close as people come. The real society that they mention in this episode. But let's move forward in the show since we're going for um, Indiana Jones connection. The show claims that the real society got Hitler to look for different artifacts. But as we mentioned before, we know that this is something that was... Somewhat invented by Ravencroft in the 70s. But it does not stop Childress from claiming...
2: When you see like the Indiana Jones movies, which tend to focus on these secret Nazi occult expeditions around the world to find the Ark of the Covenant or the Spear of Destiny or some secret libraries and aliens. While those movies are fiction, they're very much based on truth.
0: We also have Nori and Hitchcock confirming this idea.
3: Nazis. I hate these guys.
0: This section is really short and seems to rest upon the idea that if Hollywood makes a movie with a theme, well, it must be true. To be honest, I'm not sure. Could it be to fill time or the show wants to throw us a bone after some 20 episodes with no direct mention of Indiana Jones? Well, even if some talking heads have in the past done their best cosplay, at least hinting at it. We then move to Kasten Velvelsberg, a renaissance castle whose current form was constructed in 1603, even though a fortification have been on the site since 900 CE. The castle was under siege and later razed by a Swedish troop led by Carl Gustav Wrangel, during the 30-year war, of only the fact I found in the midst of all of this. The show claims that Himmler brought mediums and psychics to the castle to contact aliens. Belvelsburg Castle was important to Him- Himmler and a grand plan advised by Himmler's personal mage, Carl Maria Wilgut, And the castle was to be the main center for the SS. Vilgot, or Villigot, was behind the design of the Totenkopfring, but Vilgot believed that the castle was destined to be the magical stronghold of the SS. But the castle never became more than a museum and ideological education center for the SS officers. The grand magical plan never came to be realized, and there were never any magical rituals or medium on the site. Well, maybe except for Villigot then. But other than him, no scholars have found any strange rituals or evidence or of seances taking place here. It wasn't before the 1950s it started to become an important part of the Nazi esotericism due to the ties to Willigott, and a symbol that's actually only known from this castle called the Black Sun. They don't spend much time of this symbol in the episode, but it's supposedly why the place is magical, more or less. But now we have discussed a little bit about the real background of the castle, let's get back to the show. The claim here is that a highly influential member of the Vril Society had seances and contacted aliens here. And the name of this member is Maria Orsit. The spelling of her last name seems to differ and vary depending on the source, and this is something that is a bit of a red flag. If something as important as spelling differs quite widely depending on the source, it could be a sign that it's made up. But according to the now popular myth Maria Orsic, was born in 1895 in Zagreb, Croatia, Later in life, she moved to Munich, where she became entangled with the Vril Society a little bit after 1919. She was important since she was one of two who could telepathically contact the aliens from Aldebaran. And she grew into a quite important female leader of the Vril Society. But, as you, my dear listener, might expect, this is mostly the invention of authors we have already met. Some point out Louis Powell and Jacques Berger as the creators of Maria in Morning of the Magicians. And even if they incorporated the Vril Society in later edition, I have not been able to find Maria mentioned in the book, or a female leader of the Vril Society, or a female medium in the real society. But it's a quite thick book and it's not beyond impossible that I might have missed it. And if you have page number or a proper reference, let me know and I can, well, <laughs> update this later. But from what I have been able to find, Maria's creator is most likely Jürgen Rathofer and Ettel in the book Das Real Project. But the story grew with Jan Udo Howley and became more popular with his books. And with the help of the internet, her backstory has since grown even more. But after the narrator have mentioned the castle, Jim Morris come in claiming.
4: Maria Orsic headed a group of women known as the Viriligen. ...or the female Vril members, and they were beautiful women. They grew their hair very long because they felt like their long hair could act as an antenna to the universal Vril energy.
0: That the Vril had a special department with a special name seems to be an invention by Jim Mars in this case. But Jürgen rathofer and Ethel mentioned that the Vril female members had long hair. Maybe they were used as antennas, but... It was definitely to protest a short hair that was quite vogue in the 1920s. Bill Barn repeats some claims that the show already made and ends with.
3: The Germans were able to develop a technology so far in advance of the allied technology that people said they were helped by extraterrestrials. In fact, the one quote we have was from Hermann Oberth. And Dr. Oberth was in the German rocketry program. Hermann Oberth said, quote, "We were helped by people from other worlds."
0: As we mentioned briefly before, Oberth was with von Braun partially the origin and the main drive of the rocket program in Nazi Germany in the 50s and 60s Oberth did talk about his belief in flying saucers and that he believed that ufos had been visiting earth what he did not talk about or wrote about was that the alien had worked actively with the nazis the quote seems to come from a book called did Spacemen colonize the earth written by robin collins the book was published in 1974 so It is within Oberth's lifetime, but it seems to be dubious at best. In the book he is supposedly saying, We cannot take all the credit for our record advancements in certain scientific fields alone. We have been helped. When asked by whom, he replied, The people of other worlds. The quotes have changed throughout time, and the version Barnes quoting is from his own book, the UFO magazine, UFO Encyclopedia, published in 2004. Yet again an example on how the aliens change the material to make it more compelling or better suit their claims. We leave the esoteric ideas for now for something more tangible. The Splitting of the Atom. The show brings up Otto Hahn and Fritz Strassmann as the people who discovered Fission but leaves out uh, Lise Meitner and Otto Robert Frisch for some reason. The show talks a little bit about Fission and how the news of the discovery spread around the world. The show then goes on to talk about Albert Einstein's letter to President Roswell in August 1939. And they then attribute this quote from Einstein to be part of this letter.
3: It's successful, radioactive poisoning of the atmosphere and him. Annihilation of any life on earth has been brought within the range of technical possibilities.
0: But this quote originates from the 1950s and... Uh, from a paper he wrote about the hydrogen bomb. But in the letter they are talking about in the show, Einstein really talks about the discoveries of Fermi and Frederic Julie Curie He continues that it might be possible to use the discoveries from these people to build a very powerful weapon. Towards the end of the letter, Einstein says that he have learned that the Germans have stopped selling uranium and that he believes that German scientists might have similar knowledge as the Americans. This letter became the start of the Manhattan Project, of which Einstein would never be a part of due to his left-leaning politics. The show moves on and makes the following statement.
2: How were the German scientists in Berlin able to make this discovery before anyone else? Was this really a new breakthrough? Or might these scientists have rediscovered an ancient source of unimaginable power?
0: But the Germans didn't succeed in something that was out of the realm of possibility. They based their work on what others had made so far. With the discovery of radioactive material in the early 1900s, the work on this material had been ongoing. The group of German scientists was the first to really prove nuclear fission to be a possibility, but it was more or less a question of when it would happen at this point. As Einstein mentioned in the letter, there were a number of scientists who were on the track of finding this on, so it was almost somewhat a race, and if you're in academia, you you know what I'm talking about. We then traveled back in time to try to find the evidence of these ancient nuclear weapons that the Nazis had knowledge of. Of course, we are going to talk about Mohenjo-Daro. Childress and Cremo repeats the ideas that were brought up back in episode 7 for us. So if we we have the skeletons lying in the street and that there were cases of uh, trinitite in the desert, but... The only skeleton in Mohenjo-daro are found in the cemeteries and no one has so far been able to show a single piece of trinitite from the area. I also want to stress that Mohenudaro was built in mud bricks without mortar and still stand quite well today for being uh, that old city. Compare Mohenjo-daro to pictures from Hiroshima and Nagasaki, for example, and you will note that mohenjo is in a way too good of a shape for being hit with a nuclear explosion and being this old. The show moves on to speak about Brahmastra weapons and Hindu god for, well, reasons. Childress give us the following rather strange quote.
2: Many of these Hindu gods did look different than humans. Generally, they're often depicted as having blue skin. And that may well be describing extraterrestrials.
0: And the rest of this section is repeating the claims that we have heard before that the Nazis was looking for ancient, powerful weapons and knowledge. The show seems to hint that Hitler had contact with aliens, but why he did not succeed in uh, producing atomic weapons. If they had blueprints, why did Hahn and Strassmann? experiment so much to find fission they they could just start building the bombs from the start the show also asked this question but they don't really answer it the germans didn't really fail as more or less choose to not invest more time and scientists in the endeavor at a conference in 1939 the attending physicists theorized that the atomic bomb would be possible to create but it would not be possible to do earlier than a five-year period. When Hitler heard about that, he agreed that the endeavor would not be too beneficial to the war effort. The research was still ongoing, but, well, there was, of course, complications, such as the war, the materials became, became harder to acquire, and especially heavy water became tricky to obtain, especially since the plant was blown up in Norway by by rebel forces. And we have to remember that the Manhattan Project involved more countries than the USA and they had quite a lot of funding and scientists to use. And it's not that the Manhattan Project finished before Nazi Germany would have been able to produce the bomb if they had kept on track and didn't have all this different hiccup. So, well, the plan seems to have (laughs) been quite correct or the estimate seems to have been quite correct from the um, Nazi scientists or (laughs) physicists. Does that mean that the Americans had aliens? Now we're going down a rabbit hole. Let's leave it for now. From ancient nuclear warfare, we go to Poland and a mysterious valley near Ludwikowice, Kvadske, where a strange building stand. Ludwikowice is part of, or was part of Germany, even before the Second World War started. And it later came to have a small forced labor camp that later became part of the Gross Rosen concentration camp. But we meet here a new face for the show, an Igor Vitovsky, that says that the valley was closely guarded by the SS. There were three security rings and the hench or flytrap, as they refer to it sometimes, was in the inner of it. This structure is a bunch of pillar in a circle with lintel going on top of each pillar, closing the circle. And this is part of this strange structure where they did this experiment that we will come (laughs) talk about. The show moves on saying that mainstream scholars believe the structure would become part of a cooling tower for a coal mine if it wouldn't have been abandoned. And I think it would make sense since Wenceslau's mine is located just next to it, also abandoned. Today. But the show moves on to talk about the bell or Die Glocke, a machine built by the Nazis as a wonder weapon. Jim Moore says the project was so secret that Hitler didn't even know much about it. Stephen M. Greer say, There's
5: a great deal of evidence that suggests that the, uh, the scientists, including Hermann Oberth and Werner von Braun and others, were working on a bell shaped craft. That was electromagnetic in its propulsion system.
0: And the evidence for this is really unclear. And to make things more complicated, this myth, or maybe it's less complicated, (laughs) this myth seems to originate with Witowski, who claims to have seen secret reports kept by a military official. But he was, of course, not allowed to make any copies of the documents. So where Greer gets all of this evidence is a little bit of a mystery. But it has not stopped Jim Mars and others from expanding on the story. But it's good to know that there's no earlier mention of this than Vitovsky's book Pravda o Wunderwaffe, published in 2001. I also believe that before we start to examine what type of propulsion method the thing used, maybe we should really confirm that it even existed. And I don't feel that they managed to do this. And you, my dear listener, might also wonder, what about the hench? What was it used for? Why are we spending this time talking about this concrete skeleton? Well, the reason for this is that the scientist seems to have tied Diagloche to the lintel so it didn't fly away. It is highly unclear what they believe the function is and even if the hench is the finished product early in the clip it seems as a nazis was still constructing it but i don't know what the idea is to be honest, understand why the concrete skeleton was needed i think some chains connected to a concrete foundation would have been a quicker build and a lot cheaper one but who am i to judge here <laughs> we then move on to discuss if time travel is possible They have then explained Einstein's relativity theory. And since Einstein say it might be possible, it must mean that the Nazi might have had access to time travel. So again, aliens gave the Nazis time travel, but they still lost the war. Again, if they could share the time travel blueprints, I guess they could have shared the atomic bomb blueprints or maybe some laser rifle. I don't know. We then using this discussion to talk about a uh, SS Obergruppenführer named Hans Kammler. I'll let uh, Jim Mars set the tone here.
4: SS General Hans Kammler was going to defect in exchange for immunity, but then by the end of the war, he disappeared. So where did Hans Kammler go, and what did he take? I think he took the bell. Did he create a wormhole? Did he create a Stargate? And this is what the Nazis were working on.
0: So according to Mars, this SS-general was planning to defect, but instead chose to use the Glock and disappear. and receive and fills in.
1: The engineers that, that worked on the bell were put to death by the SS. They didn't want this technology falling into the hands of the east or the west.
0: Childress close out by adding that many scientists blew themselves up in their labs to avoid capture.
2: And the thought, I very much prefer to be taken alive.
0: Just let me clear the old browser history. And no no, 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 no. But how is it with all of this? Well, there was a Hans Kammler in the SS who, in fact, did oversee secret weapon projects. But it was not Glocke. He oversaw the production of, uh, for example, the Messerschmitt Me-262 and the V-2 rockets. So these were built by concentration camp inmates. It will be important later on to know. Hans Kammler was not your run-of-the-mill background Nazi. He seems to have been a true believer in the party and the cause and he also was deeply involved with the construction of Auschwitz. He worked hard in the party and could therefore advance through the ranks. He also was a very cold person and, as I mentioned, he relied a lot on forced labor from the camps and many died during the production, to which he is credited to have said, don't worry about the victims. The work must proceed ahead in the shortest time possible. He does not, from the description, strike me as a person who was planning to defect. His utter indifference to human suffering is staggering and his belief in the cause seems to be very stern. The killed scientists, then? To be honest, I think this idea comes from the Arnsberg Forest Massacre. Where Kreml ordered some 200 men, women, and children to be executed in the forest. There were not scientists, but merely in the way of Kamler. But since Henry Stevens does not give any source or location, I actually think that these are the people he talks about. A strange rewriting of history, to be honest. But Hans Kamler, then, what, what did happen to him? Well, as the, as the war drove closer to an uh, in, inevitable loss for the Nazi Germans, he was ordered to regroup and fall back. On April 16th, 1945, he telegraphed the command, informing them about a new message center he up in Munich. The last known message seems to have been on 23rd of April, asking his office manager to destroy remaining V1 equipment near Berlin. The end of Kamler is not known for sure, but many witnesses indicate that he died while trying to escape, either by a uh, heather on on cars or during a firefight. Since there is no photographic evidence or a body, we, we can't be sure. The search has continued, and some speculate that he might have been able to escape. But from what we know, Kamler was not near Ludwig That he could have escaped with Die Glocke is beyond the realm of possibilities. We also learned the fate of Maria Orsitz, and according to the show, she escaped with Vril Society. Maybe to Aldebarn, but who really knows? Apparently, she left a mysterious note behind, but as we have managed to conclude, Maria is, with 99% certainly, made up. But George Nori really wanted to take the prize for the show's maybe most dangerous comment.
1: The ironic thing about all of this is years later in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, a similar object was witnessed by a number of people that looked like the bell. Is it possible? that the Nazis perfected these things, or is it possible that the aliens looked like Nazis in uniforms? How bizarre would that be?
0: Why is this dangerous? Well, it's another attempt to try to clear the Nazi crimes from the Nazis. It's quite disgusting, to be honest, to say that it's aliens and not Nazis, and maybe it was even aliens that might have been behind the Holocaust. But hey, if you build your show's information from literal neo-Nazis and Holocaust deniers, I mean, it almost makes me surprised that it it was not more of this in the show. Yet, we're not done for some reason. The show talks about Hitler's suicide and to be honest, it would have been a great spot to end on. But I usually don't think people should kill themselves and if you struggle with this, Thoughts. I really do help, hope you get the help you need, but for Hitler, I'm making an exception. So, this last part is a little bit all over the place, but they talk a little bit more about the Manhattan Project that. It was able to succeed even if they didn't have aliens to help them because Americans can do things by themselves. I don't know. We get some ideas that the Nazis was inspired by the Indian text again and the rocket program would have not been possible without the Nazis. And they mentioned Operation Paperclip. So the Americans did find and bring scientists from Germany back to the U.S., but the Soviets had a similar project called Operation Kim, doing basically the same thing. And to be honest, this part wasn't that interesting or rather they don't bring up anything interesting about the either paperclip program or the rockets. And Alan Greenfield leaves us with this quote indicating that Von Braun had knowledge about aliens.
1: And I said to him how did you develop that much technology so fast? And he looked down the rows of UFO files, and he said, we had help from them. And I said, you mean them, meaning the aliens? He said, yeah, we had help. We all got help from them. And that was like the eye-opening moment.
0: But it seems uh, to be basically a rewrite uh, of the quote uh, attributed to Oberth earlier. Greenfield claimed that this was from 1970 when he had access to secret documents at the wright Peterson Air Force Base. But in 1970, von Braun got a role as NASA's, that's a title, Deputy Associate Administrator for Planning at the headquarters of NASA. I'm not entirely sure why he would be at the Air Force base then, but hey, maybe he was. I don't know. <laughs> we don't get to know more from Grenfell anyway. And it's here we're going to basically leave off. The show is closing out on asking if Nazi Germany had technology on that was based on alien ideas. And basically just leave us hanging in there. So yeah, this was quite a trip and well, the research took me to some dark places. I will need to scrub my search history after this. It was an interesting episode or rather the research preparing for it became quite interesting and as I mentioned, there was a lot of things that I had to leave out due to, well, the length would otherwise be very, very long. But Further sources and resources will be found at the website as normal. And hey, remember to leave a positive review anywhere you can, such as iTunes, Spotify, or even better, to your friend at the trench. Or pub after the dig. Or wherever, basically. I'm not that picky. It's up to you. (laughs) I would also recommend you to visit diggingupancientaliens.com to find more info about me and the podcast. You can also find me on most social media sites. And if you have comments, corrections, or suggestions, or maybe you're one of those who just want to write an email in all caps, you can find my contact info at the website. On our website, you will also find the sources and resources used to create this podcast. And, well, especially this time, you will find further reading suggestions. So you can learn more about the subjects we bring up. But it's time to go and the fantastic band Trallskruv will sing us out with their song Tinfoil Hat. Links to their stuff will be found in the show notes. Until next time, keep showing that science. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. Remember that we have a subscription going on. You can become a patron or other subscriber for as little as two fifty per episode. Go to diggingupancientaliens.com/support. That is, go to diggingupancientaliens.com/support to read more information and sign up right there.